Thank you, Greg. Happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you. As all of our children go out, let me go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. You all all know what happened in the news last week about children and the abduction in Giles and so forth. Many of us know more information than the average person knows. Let me just put your heart at rest, okay? We are well aware. We were prepared even before this happened. And we are extra guarded. I I would guarantee you that every church in the New River Valley would be the most undesirable place to try to do anything bad this morning. That would be my suggestion, okay? But we have policies in place, principles in place, and for parents of small children, you're going to see some other additional layers added. Just, you know, go along, help us. It may cause a 30-second delay in picking your child up. But we're not going to let anything happen to your child. We have people in our parking lot and people in here. You know, I don't want to give all of our secrets out, but we will try to squelch anything in the lot that happens out there before it ever gets in the door. Heaven forbid anything ever does get in the door, it will be taken care of immediately. There is enough arms here, trained arms, uh, to fortify a militia, okay? Uh, so rest at ease if anything would ever happen as far as somebody coming in and we just say this online so anybody that plans on doing this will know you all just hit the floor and it will be taken care of immediately don't try to run but this is what I said earlier and I say this to you as always you know it takes all of us to make sure we're safe so if you ever pull in anywhere and you see something that makes you feel suspicious or it seems like something is not right guess what Most of the time, it's not right. We call that gut reaction. Something just doesn't feel right. So what should you do? All of our security guards are marked. They have different things. We'll be getting them badges and so forth in the near future. Go to someone and tell them. And all they have to do is tell them. And when our security guards know this, they are told and trained to approach and to talk. So this is how we have it covered. So take a big, deep breath and go... Okay, this is just part of what you get for having a former police officer as a pastor. And, you know, we have one of the greatest security team leaders, Derek Altizer, is the captain of the Christiansburg Department. He oversees it. You don't see his emails, but he emails the security team a lot. So we are so thankful for everyone who has part in that. Uh, They take care of us, and we're thankful for them, and we appreciate them uh, to the hilt. However, today is Mother's Day. And we appreciate our moms, don't we? Ladies, women in our life who are so important. Mothers are truly a gift from God. And if you're listening to me today, the reason you're listening is because your mother loved you enough to bring you up and to love you. You should express your appreciation to her. As a matter of fact, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and your mother. And we know that honor is both verbal and And it's also taking care of them later in life. But we want to take time this morning to recognize all mothers. Everybody comes in here with a different place in your life. Some of you do not have a mom. She's passed away. Just talked to a man recently that lost his mother. He was walking out of the church this morning. Hard on him. Hard not to have your mom here. And his statement is, if you have a mom, you better appreciate her right now. And you better be thankful for her now because you never know what one year brings. 
So there are people who have mothers in heaven. There are mothers who have children in heaven. And we're thankful for both. And all women of all different stripes, there are different types, such as aspiring mothers. You know, this is the young girl that thinks that her goal and desire in life is to grow up and get married. You know, by the way, that is not a bad aspiration. Please don't let the culture make you think, like the song we sang, that being a mother is something less than what God intended. As a matter of fact, I want you to remember this. Being a mom is the highest calling you will ever have. You can earn every degree you want and climb the corporate ladder as far as you want to get. You will never achieve a greater calling in life than motherhood. There are some young ladies this morning who are aspiring to be a mom. You're a hero. There are others in our midst who are adoptive mothers. Maybe they couldn't have a child of their own, but they love children, and they found a child somewhere that couldn't be taken care of, and they adopted them. That is the heart of a mother, even though they could not actually give birth. There are also anticipating mothers. I don't have to explain that one, do I? They're expecting. There are birth mothers, that is, people who have children of their own. But then there's a final category that sometimes we look over, and I would call these spiritual mothers. That for some reason or another, this person either didn't get married, or maybe they did get married, and they couldn't have children, or something impeding them from having children, but they have a heart for people. And they understand God's call on their life to invest spiritually in another person. And I shared earlier, so I'll share it with you. The reason I am standing right here this morning is because of a spiritual mother in my life. She was a little lady. She might have weighed a 100 pounds, fully clothed and soaking wet. But she lived at the end of my road where we lived. Some of you have heard this story. Some haven't. But in the long and the short, I had told her that I felt like I was called into ministry. However, I was scared, trying to use every excuse to get out. And I was offered a promotion and a raise. And I went down to her house to break the great news to her that I would not be going into ministry. Instead, I would be taking the promotion, staying at my house, and giving all the extra money to missions. And I was waiting for her to rejoice with me. And as I sat there, she just went, oh. And I thought she was going to say, I am so great. She went, oh, shame on you. Shame on you. Selling your call to ministry for a promotion and a raise, I'll be praying against you. (gasps) I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it was like an arrow from heaven came out. And I thought she was going to celebrate. Her husband had went, yeah, I think that's a good idea, son. Shame on you. She shamed him too. (laughs) Shame on you. God called you in the ministry and you're going to sell. I'll never forget those words. You're going to sell him out for a promotion and a raise. And then looking right in my eyes, I'll be praying against you. Now I'm going to tell you something. Norweda Wilburn is not a woman you wanted praying against you. Because when that woman prayed... The hand of God opened, and she had his ear. And I'm going to tell you, she has prayed many, many prayers that Almighty God has answered. And as I said earlier, we are going to have to make reservations to get in line to see this woman in heaven. You may never know her, 
But she loves Jesus and she loves God so much, she prays all the time. And she accomplishes more at her house praying that most people do in ministry their entire life. I am so thankful for spiritual mothers. I want to talk to you about the heart of a spiritual mother this morning. It's found in two places in the Gospels. This is a rare thing that in both places this is found, but I want to read them to you because they're both short accounts. But here is the point. Crying out to Jesus on behalf of others, especially our children, is a privilege that every parent has. And mothers take it to heart. In Matthew chapter 15, I put it on the screen if you don't want to turn there, verses 21 through 28, a story is told of a woman who lived up near the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, let me just say in advance so I don't interrupt while I'm reading, Tyre and Sidon is the place where Jezebel lived. Do you know who Jezebel was? If you don't, you need to go back in the Old Testament. She was the most wicked woman in the Old Testament. And she lived in the place, Tyre and Sidon, uh, up north of the nation of Israel. I told him this morning that she has some descendants who have made their way into Congress. But nevertheless, this woman was so wicked. But in her region was this mother. And this particular mother had a desperate need and a desperate circumstance. And she had no other option. Listen to the story. And Jesus went away from there, Israel, and withdrew north to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region. A Canaanite. Stop for a minute. What is a Canaanite? Well, have you all ever heard the old gospel story? We're going to the land of Canaan. Well, the Canaanites were the people who were occupants of, the, of Israel before Israel even was told to take the land. God used the Canaanites to prepare the land for Israel to go into, and God told them they're wicked, they do this to their children, and that you are to judge them and run them out because you, Israel, are my judgment rod. You are to do that to them. Israel was the only nation that was God's judgment rod. That's why God could tell them to exterminate other nations. But this woman was a Canaanite who lived in Tyre and Sidon, and she came out and was crying. Now listen to what she was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Now, if you just hear that and you don't understand biblical terms, what she is saying is, I am a Canaanite woman and I recognize that you are the Messiah promised from God from the Garden of Eden to come to the nation of Israel. You are He. Help me. Have mercy on me. O Lord, Son of David, the rightful heir of David's throne. Have mercy on me. Now notice what happens. She gives her reasoning. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. The text goes on to say, and I want you to underline this in your mind. You ready for this? It's a little insight into our Lord. He answered her not a word. You ever had anybody cry out to you, Help! 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 She just continued to do it. 
and no answer? You say, well, that was rude of our... Hold on before you cast judgment now. Hold on before you call Jesus a, a non-gender uh, justice person. Hold on before you cast judgment, because there's a whole reason as to why he remained silent. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. By the way, the word crying out in the original language, it implies she continued to do it. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. Have mercy. She was screaming for him. So much so that Peter, James, and John, and all the disciples went over and said, Lord, she is driving us crazy. Get her out of here. Now, notice what happened. He answered her and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am Israel's Messiah. You just called me the son of David. I, I was sent only to the house of Israel. Notice what she does. She doesn't quit. What does she do? Lord, help me. Now let's go to Mark. Mark writes, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at her, his feet. Now, how did she hear of him? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. Mark doesn't specifically tell us. But some commentators say there was a trade route that went from Israel up to Tyre and Sidon. And apparently, word got up there, perhaps through a merchant, through a business owner. Somebody said, there is the king in Israel who is healing people. And this woman knew he was her only hope. So he entered the house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. Notice what Matthew says. She was a what? Canaanite. Mark just says she was a what? A Gentile. Different audiences, different readers. A Syrophoenician by birth. Now this is identifying her with the Jezebel territory. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. To the dogs. Now, let me stop for a minute. Someone sent me a sermon by a pastor in a huge church. And this pastor preached a message on this passage, and this is what he said. He said that Jesus did not know when he was basically a racist. Now, listen carefully. He said that Jesus was a racist and that this woman, the Syrophoenician, and her actions helped Jesus to rid himself of his, his racism. In other words, she was, uh, she was the, the sensitivity training for our Lord. Now, may I say this? And he went on. It was an hour sermon and people actually endured that. By the way, if anybody ever preaches anything like that at Trinity, the people in the church should stand up and all with one voice sing Amazing Grace as loud as you can, come up to the pulpit, invade it, are y'all listening, and run them plumb out of town and get them out to the edge of the ocean and give them a board and shove them out on the ocean because they do not need to be in a church pulpit 
preaching the Word of God. That is heresy. Jesus is not a racist. He is not bigoted. He doesn't have any of this Marxism in him. Okay? So, please. But I calmed down after my blood pressure went down. And I realized, you know, this is, a, this is an important passage. But it's not saying that about Jesus. So hang on and I'm going to tell you why. Let the children... Now, he says it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The word dog here is not the word scavenger out in the street. It's the word for a house dog. A little lap dog. You know, think about this. When you are at a table and let's say you have a house pet, what do you do when you... something you give your children the food first, right? I hope you do. I mean, if you cook a steak and you have a T-bone steak and you cut half the steak off, I would hope you would give it to your little child instead of going, uh, we'll give you the bone, Johnny, and come here, Rover, we're going to give you the T-bone. No, you give your child the steak first and you give the dog the bone, right? I hope you would. Y'all do give dogs bones, don't you? Y'all are just looking at me. But yes, so that it's an order of priority. I am Israel's Messiah. I came to give them the message first. And then, what's implied, I'll go to the Gentiles. Now, what does this Gentile woman do when he gave this theological, I'll go to Israel first and then go to you second? Now, she breaks out and she catches his parable. She says, yes, Lord, yeah, you're right. You are Israel's Messiah. You're doing exactly what was told of you in the Old Testament. You're going to your people first to tell them the gospel of the kingdom. You're going to present yourself as the Messiah of Israel. You can feed your children. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. Lord, I'm so desperate. I'll take whatever falls off the edge of the table. And whatever you want to say about me, Lord, that's fine, that's fine, I, I, I admit. But even the children, even the dogs, eat the crumbs under the children's table. And let me tell you something, you want to talk about faith that gets God's ear and opens God's hand? That's what we're talking about this morning. Listen to what He said to her. And He said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. The faith of a mother. Now, when we think about a passage like this, I want to share something very practical, but something very biblical, that is laid out right before us, Four ways a mother or a father or a person can move the hand and the heart of Jesus. A lot of times we pray and we pray amiss. But this story is inserted in this place in the Bible. You all hear me closely. In both Matthew and Mark, very rarely do you find the same stories preceding this story. But in both cases... Both are there. The first story is Jesus going in and the religious leaders gathering around, criticizing His disciples for not washing their hands before they eat, saying that that made them ceremonially unclean. It was ridiculous, the things that they had, different ways to wash and drip. 
Jesus, in the very next sentence, told them in the paragraph, it is not what goes in a person's mouth that defiles them. It's what comes out of their heart is what defiles them. So the origin of evil is not in food or drink or in what we partake. The origin of evil is what's down inside the heart that comes out of man's mouth. And so they couldn't understand this. If they would have understood it as religious leaders, what he was saying was, you're saying it's on their hands. You're saying dirty hands defile them. But what I'm saying is dirty hearts is what really defiles a person. Right after the story of the religious leaders and the dietary laws of Israel, are you hearing me? This story was inserted. You know why it was inserted? Here's why. Because the religious leaders that Jesus went to to present who he was could not see him. But there was a Gentile woman who was a Canaanite from the territory of Jezebel who heard about him and had enough faith to travel miles and miles from the north all the way down into the land and she would not quit until he acknowledged her prayer. She was a desperate woman. What did she do? Number one, she bowed before him in desperation. If you look at the text, it said that she came and she bowed before him. What does this imply, this bowing? You know, when you are desperate, when you have a child that you can no longer control, when you reach the place in parenting, and by the way, you will, the most scary time in our life in parenting was when we realized that our children were to that place that Karen and I could no longer be the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? We couldn't tell them what to think, how to behave, hold them and mold them and control them and make them do. When we came to the point we realized they are their own person. They are responsible for themselves. They are accountable for themselves in both what they take in and what they do, their actions. And we can't control that. And when you see your child go in a place of rebellion or running away from God or doing those things, you are hopeless. You are helpless. By the way, as a parent, to try to change them and try to manipulate and try to do things behind the scenes will only drive your child further and further away from God. And this mother had reached her end. She knew there was nothing else she could do. So she was desperate. So she came to Jesus, and the first thing she did was she hit her knees. The most powerful place you can be is not on top of a wall. The most powerful place you can be is on your knees before God. And this woman bowed. She bowed on her knees. She recognized that He was Lord, that He was the only one who had the answers, and He was the only one who could fix the problems in her child's life. And this moved the heart of Jesus. Why? Because she was showing respect and reverence, expressing her awe for Him, admitting that she was helpless. It is when we admit we are helpless and desperate That's when we get God's ear. And this woman knew that she couldn't fix it anymore. By the way, have you ever reached that point? You can't fix your children anymore. And every young parent had better listen to me. Prepare yourself. 
because it's coming. But when it does, and even in advance, on your knees before Jesus in desperation, begging Him for the heart and the soul of your child. And when you do that, you actually are worshiping Him. You know, a lot of people think that they have to come to church on Sunday and get the kind of music they like. And when they sing what they like, that's worship. That is not worship. That's entertainment. Worship is when you're on your knees before God, pouring out your heart, recognizing that you are desperate and He is the only one who can answer. That's worship, by the way. Proskuneo, to bow down. Bowing, kneeling, getting on your face before God. Well, there was a second way that this woman moved God's heart and His hand, and that was she cried out to Him. She cried out. I told you earlier that this word has the idea of she continued and continued and continued until she annoyed the disciples. She cried out. It wasn't a flowery request. She didn't write it out on a piece of paper and make it. She just started yelling, Have mercy on me. Notice what she said, Have mercy on me. Parents feel the pain of their child. I'll never forget someone telling me, they said that the happiness of a parent is only as great as that of their most miserable child. In other words, the heart of a parent for their child, their love for them, it's hard for them to have any more joy than that of their most desperate child. Why? Because they are together. I mean, it's so desperate. And this woman, have mercy on me. And by the way, she was aggressive. She didn't quit. She kept crying out. You want to know why? Because that's what prayer warriors do. They don't quit when they don't get an answer. Now, let me go back to Matthew. You ready? Can you imagine this woman crying out? Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy. And Jesus just not even paying attention to her? Jesus? I mean, you know, the one that we hear about all the time? Why did he not pay attention to her? Are you ready? Are you ready? Go like that. Yeah, okay, you're ready. This is why he did not answer her immediately. He had been scouring the nation of Israel up one side and down the other to the people who had God's word, who should have been prepared for the Messiah, and he could not find anybody who would acknowledge who he was. And there are his twelve disciples telling the woman who was going to teach them the greatest lesson on faith that they would ever learn, a Gentile Canaanite woman from Jezebel's tribe. He didn't answer her because he wanted her to cry out and he wanted to teach his disciples what true faith in him really looked like. He let her cry, he let her cry, he let her cry. And then all of a sudden he turned and he answered. And by the way, he answered that question. It's not right to do one specific thing. And that was he knew this woman was going to keep on. By the way, if you ever hear a preacher come into a passage like this or any other passage and say this. Now Jesus was waiting to learn what this woman was going to do. If you ever hear a preacher say that, listen to me, I'm trying to make you good theologians. Just 
in your mind go, he is an I-P. You know what that is? Ignorant pastor. He's an ignorant pastor. He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Are you listening to me? Jesus knew exactly, exactly when this woman was coming. He knew exactly her circumstance. He knew exactly what she was going to say. And he knew exactly what he was going to say. And by the way, I can take you to places in the Word of God. Jesus knows both the actual and the possible. So to say that he is ignorant, or he doesn't know, or he's waiting to learn, that is terrible theology. Terrible! By the way, listen to his quote about Sodom and Gomorrah. He told the same religious leaders, he said, if Sodom and Gomorrah would have heard the message that you heard, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. That's the possible. In other words, if God's word had went to Sodom and Gomorrah and they had heard the same biblical truth that the nation of Israel heard, they would have repented. But the nation of Israel didn't. He knows both actual and he knows possible. Now don't ask the question, well then why didn't he go to Sodom and Gomorrah? Because that's an IQ. That's an ignorant question. Because he went to the nation of Israel. And that's where His grace was. But it extended out. So this woman began to beg and question, and Jesus just sat there and let her yell. You know why? Listen. Because He was going to answer her prayer, her request, in His time. And He was going to teach not only the twelve, and not only the people in the house, but people all down through the church history how to get his ear and how to move his hand. And this is exactly what this woman did. She kept crying out to him. The third way to move Jesus' hand and his heart, and this is so important, cling to hope even when the answer is not immediate. You know, folks, we quit so many times when we don't see things happen in our life. And I could stand here this morning and read stories to you about answered prayers when parents, people cry out and plead for things to happen. And somehow or another, we think that if God doesn't answer our prayer in our time so that we can see it, or in such a way as that we know what the answers are, we somehow think that God is not going to do it. Do you realize that there are times in history when God bottled up prayers, if you'll let me use that term, for years and years and years before He answered them? If you don't believe me, go read the book of Exodus when the children of Israel cried out to God, God, 400 years! Other places in Scripture where it talks about people prayed for something and prayed for something... Take Abraham and Sarah, for example. We're talking about Mother's Day. Abraham wanted a child. Sarah did too. How many years did they pray? How old was Sarah when she had a child, by the way? Yeah, how would you like to try that? Me either. Years upon years. So don't get discouraged when you pray for a week, a month, a year, five years, ten years. And your prayers aren't answered. That does not mean God doesn't hear them. It just means that He's not ready to answer them the way you're asking right now. 
And don't you dare think God's not working when you don't see the result because He is working. And so what, does, what do you do? Here's the point. What are the ways that you move His heart and His hand? You keep clinging to hope. And when you pray, you acknowledge that. Lord, Lord Jesus, I'm like the Syrophoenician woman. I'm crying out to you right now in desperation. Help. Help on behalf of this person. And Lord, you may not do it in my lifetime, but you're going to change them, and I know you are. I know you are. Because you are the prayer-answering, miracle-working, heart-changing, soul-shattering, chain-breaking Savior. And you can do it. And Jesus, I'm trusting you to do it. Cling to the hope. And then finally, finally, trust in a prayer answering, miracle-working God. The most powerful thing that you and I can do as Christians, are you ready for this? Is to pray. Pray. It is the most spiritually hard thing to do. You know, even last night, I shouldn't tell you this, but even last night as I was laying in bed going to sleep, I was praying for different things. Terriblest things in the world started coming into my mind. Terrible. I stopped and I said, Lord, I recognize this as spiritual warfare. I recognize, I will not let it deter me. Take this away, and I started praying again. And I kept on praying, and finally went to sleep. You know the best way to go to sleep? Just pray. Just, just like if you struggle with insomnia, come to church and listen to me preach. Guarantee you. We'll cure it. But just pray. But listen, when you pray, God answers prayer. And you have to trust, like this woman, she was not going to quit And the problem with most Christians is we pray and we stop right there. We don't realize that our heart has to be in a continual position of clinging and trusting while we're praying. And when we do that, it's almost like it excels the answer to prayer. You know, it's interesting. Jesus did not speak to this demon. Isn't that interesting? In fact, He wasn't even anywhere near the daughter He just simply told the woman, your daughter is free. You know what that tells us? That Jesus doesn't have to be right on the scene where you and I think He has to be to be working. He answers prayer everywhere. Just a week or so ago, Brian and I were went to a funeral. It was an interesting funeral because the missionary... uh, Wanted to be buried on his own place. It was kind of strange. So we actually involved in burying him. This man had went to the mission field. He was Brian's youth pastor for years. Had children. One of his children, are you ready for this? Grew up. Parents who were a missionary. And he doesn't mind us sharing this. Parents who were a missionary. The, a fine example. Today... That boy didn't even come to his dad's funeral. Stopped talking when he found out his dad had cancer. He's homeless and a drug addict. Now, do you think that's the fault of the parents? I hope you don't say yes. But his prayer before he died was that his son 
would turn his life and he would come back to Jesus. And as I began to think about that and I read this, I thought to myself, don't you dare for one minute think because today his son is out somewhere in the world, drugged up, no home. Don't you dare think that God has abandoned that child, that man, for the simple reason that his mother and his father and hundreds of other believers are pouring out prayers for God to intervene in that man's life. And I want you to know something. In due time, in God's time, God can get His attention. And don't you dare think for one second that God can't get someone's attention because you don't know God. God can get His attention. Will God get His attention? Don't ask me. That's something that God has to answer. But our point is, we have to continue to trust in a prayer-answering, miracle-working God. If you follow us on Faith Life, you'll remember a story I posted several weeks back about a young man. And apparently the guy that sent it to me knows him. But this young man had rebelled against his mother and father, ran out into the world, drunken and drugged. He was tattooed all over, pierced all over, into all kinds of trouble. Are you listening? Somebody invited him to celebrate recovery. A program to help addicts get off drugs. This boy wandered into a church, this man, and for the first time he heard the story of the grace of God. That even though he was a druggie and a terrible person, that he could be forgiven and be as righteous as Jesus. And the message of the gospel of the grace of God shattered his drug-infected heart. And he said, for the first time I realized it's not about what I did, it's about what Jesus did for me. And he believed on Jesus for eternal life. And he was forgiven. Guess what happened to this young man? He did not want to do drugs anymore. When he realized what had happened and he could be forgiven, he didn't want to do drugs. He came clean. He attended all the way through the session. I think he attended another session. And then you know what happened? He started reading the Word of God with a heart that was bowing, crying out, clinging and trusting. And let me tell you something, when you read God's Word with those four things, those four ways, you better get ready because your heart's going to get changed. Here's this drug addict who was on the street, in rebellion, in trouble. Come to find out, he was prayed for all over. He gets saved. Do you know what that man is doing today? He is preaching from a pulpit. You want to know why? Because of the prayers of someone to a God who could change that man's heart in God's time. Don't you ever, ever give up. Never. So here's the question. Are you desperate for Jesus to change someone today? You know, maybe you are here for your mother. Or maybe you came because you were invited today. 
And you are the one who needs the righteousness of Jesus. You know, in order to get into heaven, the only way you can get into heaven is to be as righteous as Jesus is. That is it, by the way. Have you ever sinned one time? Well, then you're out. You ever had a bad attitude? You're out. You've got to have His righteousness. Well, I've got good news for you today. By the way, that's what gospel means, good news. Here's the good news. You can have His righteousness placed upon your account free. Because that's what salvation means. He takes your sin and He gives you His righteousness. For He, God the Father, has made Him, Christ Jesus, to become sin for us. And He, Christ Jesus, knew no sin, so that we may become the righteousness of God in Him. Who is our righteousness? Jesus Christ is our wisdom and our righteousness. That is a free gift to you. But you have to believe. You have to accept Maybe you're the one who's desperate for Jesus. Our prayer today is that you'll believe in Him and what He did for you on the cross and accept Him as your Savior and have eternal life. But maybe you know another person who is desperate today. Maybe it's a parent of a wayward child. Maybe it's someone that is running from God and you know them personally. Are you desperate for them? I heard someone tell the story. They were so desperate for somebody that the man and his wife decided they would not eat all day on Friday. They were going to fast all day, skip breakfast, skip lunch, and wait for dinner. And every time they had a hunger pain, they were going to pray for that specific need in person. By the way, have you ever fasted? I'm not telling you you have to. I'm just saying it's a great way to remind you to what you're doing, you're, you're denying yourself so that you can pray for another person. And so every time you have that urge or desire, what do you do? You pray. But are you desperate? And if you are, learn ways from this mother that move God's hand. Bow, cling. You've got to cling, right? Trust. And so what are some specific things that we can do. One, number one, thank God for those who have interceded in your life over the years. How many people have prayed for you? I told you the story in Orwita. Thank God for that woman. Second, make a commitment to pray regularly for someone else. You might consider praying. You might consider putting it on a calendar, doing it once a week, twice a week. I don't know. But be faithful. Cry out to the Lord. And then keep praying Keep believing. And even if you think God is silent, don't you quit. Don't you quit. Because He is a prayer answering, miracle working, soul changing, chain breaking, heart rending Savior. And I know that from personal experience and from the Word of God. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word. Thank You for the faith of this woman and thank You, Lord, that You pulled that out of her so that we could learn never to quit but instead pour our desperation out to You. And oh God, we do that this morning. I'm sure that within the sound of my voice there are people who have needs and they're desperate 
I think of needs in my own life, Lord, my own family. No one is able to solve these problems but You. And so, Father, I pray for every request of every heart this morning under the sound of my voice, whether it's online, whether they're here in person, whether they listen to this in the near future or the distant future. Lord, answer the prayers of their heart. And may we learn from this woman what moves your hand and what catches your ear. And may this be more than just a sermon that we hear on Mother's Day, Lord. May these be truths that change the way we communicate with You. So, Father, we pray for these this morning. Answer every prayer. And we'll give You praise in Jesus' name. Amen.